listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. Today we're joined with a special guest, a friend of mine I met about a year ago, I guess, at the Best Ever Conference, and, and we've kept in touch over the last year, and he's You'll definitely recognize him. He's, he's all over the place. He's involved with Bigger Pockets. He's all over social media. When I was thinking about how I was going to introduce him, the first thing that came to mind is he is a shit-talking photographer that occasionally invests in real estate. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome Alexander Felix to the show. How are you? Thank you very much. That, Alex- is, a, that is a fairly accurate representation of what I do. <laughs> definitely. So first of all, Alexander is a great name. That's my son's name. So it definitely stuck with me. But can you tell our listeners your story, how you got involved in real estate, what you did before? Just kind of give us the rundown and the history. Yeah. So uh, I'll try to go as quick as I can. So I was about 30, working in car sales, living month to month, broke all the time, had no skills, no talents, no assets, a negative net worth. And, you know, I was an alcoholic. I didn't really know it at the time, but I was a pretty bad alcoholic. And, um, you know, life has ways of teaching you the errors of your ways painfully. And so I, I had to go through some, um, well, you know, everybody goes through losses. And I went through, had some losses, learned my lesson, started tightening up. I found the FIRE community, personal finance. And so that's how it started. And I was like, oh man, I can probably stop being broke if I stop having such poor financial habits. And, and I start take self-responsibility. It started with just, you know, not being in debt not having credit card debt, not spending frivolously. And so self-responsibility became a cornerstone of my whole life. And well, then you start accumulating some money and you're like, well, what am I going to do with this 20 grand? What am I going to do with this 15 grand? Now at the time, that was a lot of money. Still is a lot of money for me. And it was about 2014. uh, So I decided to go back and get a degree in finance. So I went to school, got a degree in finance. I switched over to working in banking. And then um, I started figuring out ways I could invest that I didn't want to open a brick and mortar store. I didn't want to open a service business. So I need something passive because I'm kind of lazy. And it's 2014. Turns out real estate had just collapsed and there's foreclosures on the market left and right. And they're cheap. I didn't have that much money, but I had basically just enough that in 2014, I could buy a foreclosure, paid 55,000 for it. I moved into it, did it with a FHA loan actually. So I only had to put in like three grand 18 months later, it appraised for like 115. I was like, wow, this is easy. (laughs) I had literally gone from being broke my whole life and like, you know, 40 grand in the red to I just did one deal and made $60,000 in a year. I was like, well, this is, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this over and over. It wasn't until 2016 I bought the next one. And then by 19 last year, I had eight. Have you bought them all in foreclosure and are you keeping them all as rentals, which are kind of yeah, so 14, I bought the one with the FHA and moved in, but by 16, I had enough capital where I was buying them cash and then burr. So I buy them cash, rehab them, and then take the loan out. And I was doing it in a way where I basically got 100% of my funds back. So I have eight houses with nothing invested in them. They're all 30-year Fannie Mae mortgages. They all cash flow positive. They're all probably about 40% equity now. I have nothing invested in any of them. It's pretty good, pretty good situation. How much do each one of them cash flow? Because I've burred quite a few houses this year and I've gotten a ton of money. I, I think I'm maybe over rotated because I pulled out way more capital than I put in. But after that process, they didn't cash flow all that well. So this is an interesting topic because the one thing that people in this business do is they effing lie. They lie. <laughs> yeah. like, they lie. They don't even embellish. They straight up, flat out <laughs> lie. 
And this is why if you go to my website and I don't sell anything there, so I don't mind pitching it, brokersofchoice.com, I put all my financials on the website to include my HUD. And I'm very transparent about that. My on tax returns, because how you measure it matters, on tax returns, I cash flow about $200 per door per unit, average. Some do better than others. On years, I have a condo that almost always loses me money. So if I got rid of that, I'd actually go up. But also, I stopped buying single family rentals in 2019 because the prices in my market have gone up so much that I couldn't cash flow in a way. You know, I have guys, I have people that come to my market, they buy houses for way more than I paid for them, for mine, that rent for the same amount. And then they go on the internet and they're like, yeah, I cash flow $400 a month. <laughs> and I'm like, you are flat out lying. Or you're so blinded by the excitement to post on social media that you're not actually looking at your financials. Sure. One or both of those is happening. So on a house that I own for 60 grand that rents for 950, I make about 200 bucks a month. Yeah. So people definitely lie and they embellish in the weirdest way, especially when you get into like multifamily and syndications and people might invest like 25 grand in a 400 unit and then they get on there and they say they have 400 doors. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in the industry with how people portray themselves. But on the burrs, so all of mine, I did commercial loans. So they're 20 year AMs with higher interest rates. I could have gone Fannie Freddie, 30 year low interest rate, but underwriting was a pain in the ass. And then there was like, what is it called? We have to wait to start seasoning periods. So I just like to move really fast. So I just, and another thing is I could have left money in the, like I didn't have to take out 20 grand more than I invested, but I did the math and I was like, well, if I leave it in there, yeah, I'll cash flow $200 a month. But like I'm getting 20 grand. How many months would I have to cash flow $200 a month to make up that 20 grand I'm getting? I'm not selling it. Like, and I'm not cash flowing negative. I'm just about breaking even. And if I can get 20 grand in my pocket today and it's still paying down the debt over time while it's appreciating, like I don't think that's a terrible idea. I mean, I have plenty of other stuff that cash flows good, but my burrs, I've just, I mean, I've emptied them out. I use the process called delayed finance. This is what I was on Bigger Pockets podcast for, where I found a way to do a Fannie Mae mortgage with no seasoning and get 100% of my funds back. Also, delayed finance is, I did a little tricky thing where they say you can remove the seasoning period, but you can only get back what's on the HUD. Okay. And so what I would do is I would put the rehab costs and I would pay for them at closing and put them on the HUD. And then the whole check would go to my contractor, but my contractor relationship was tight. And so instead of having a $40,000 house with a $25,000 rehab separate, I would just pay $65,000 at closing all at once. The house would get rehabbed in four weeks. I'd get a tenant next. And so in eight weeks, I have a loan with 100% of my funds back. I've done it in eight and a half weeks. So I bought the house, paid for everything. And so they go back to HUD and they say, 65 grand, we'll give you 65 grand. Nice. So you said you stopped doing that in 2019. So what did you start doing then? 2019, I don't know if you know, but real estate is really popular right now. It's <laughs> yeah, almost as popular as it was in 2007, it seems, which is a little bit worrisome, but not as worrisome for some different reasons. But the mania is real. I remember in 2014, I was trying to start little meetups in town and I could barely get five or six people. Now I go to a meetup that's barely organized and there's 40 people there. So all those people drive prices up. Also, out-of-state investors drive prices up into markets that they don't even live in. So sure. That's happening in my market considerably. So a house that I used to own for all in for 65, I now have to own all in for 90. And because I live in a market that doesn't appreciate the house that's worth 90 or that I have to pay for 90, it used to be, how do I say it? I used to have to pay 65,000 to own a house that was worth 95 or 100. 
Now I have to pay 90 to own the same house that's worth 100. So it just became, I don't want to say it was too competitive, but it was like, look, the margins were sick. That's why I did it. The margins are no longer sick. If you're just starting out and you need to get this machine going and you need to get some freedom and you need to get some assets, like I understand. But for me, I already had eight. I was kind of bored of single families. I'm like, this is easy. I can't get more than 10 Fannie Mae mortgages. So I was going to have to start doing what you were talking about with the commercial loans, which is less lucrative in terms of cash flow. It's scary because they balloon in five years and who knows what the credit and they're calling. So all of those things, I was like, you know, we need a different strategy. I'm bored. It's overly competitive. I started to find it to be easy. You know, the what's next hit me. So I went off and I bought a 24 unit apartment complex. Okay. Now to your earlier point, we can be real transparent here. I was the deal <laughs> sponsor. That's a JV. I own the biggest share of the building. I save 24 units. I own 23% of it. You can call that what you want. I don't really care about units. What I care about is I have the talent to go off and raise the capital, do the due diligence, do the underwriting and take the deal down. That scales. I don't care about units. I care about talent. Sure. So, so I did the 24 unit and then um, in 2020, I had this system, my contractor and my people in town, I had this system that was designed to renovate houses really efficiently and the market's up. And I had a whole, I had a deal flow side, but I didn't want to buy any more single family rentals. So this year I flipped only two houses but I quit my bank job last year. I haven't worked all year. I've been doing real estate full time. So I flipped two houses and made way more than I made at the bank. Sure. And then I'm about three weeks out from closing on a 52 unit. That's a real syndication. Awesome. So the first one wasn't a syndication. It was a joint venture. Can you explain to our listeners that don't know the difference between those two? A joint venture is me and five friends get together. We pull our money for lack of a better terms, say evenly, five people buy 20% of the deal. You put 20% of the money up, you own 20% of the cash flow profits and you own 20% of the equity. Really simple. A syndication is a legal structure that allows you to sell an asset or portions of an asset as a security, like a stock. So a syndication allows me to go to a, to buy this asset and then I can sell portions of it out based on how much I determine their worth. So I can sell shares and say that share is worth X and you're going to get X amount of cash flow and X amount of equity for it. I determine that. And then my investors have to agree. You determine the percentages. You don't determine the direct dollar amount that they're going to receive. That's correct. It's complicated. So I can say, Hey, look, you're going to get 8% preferred, which means you're going to get 8%. If we make 8%, you get the first eight, anything more than that. I start to get a percentage of it as the uh, syndicator. So it's a little bit complicated. And we don't have to go into the super details of that on this show, but the idea is the syndication is a, is a legal entity that allows you to sell shares of an asset to, in my case, non-accredited investors. So that kind of caveats into another conversation I wanted to get into, even though I'm kind of afraid to have it. So you said non-accredited investors. So I suppose you're talking about a 506B opportunity. You're correct. correct. And so, I'd like to make clear, I'm afraid of talking of no conversations. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just mean from a legal standpoint, like what are, cause you know, we're going to do a B on, on our project that we're working on. And I've heard from different lawyers and stuff like you can't say anything like, you know, publicly or like it's considered prime in the pump and might be considered advertising and it violates the, the rules. Once, once you're under contract, that's correct. You can't say anything. Okay. Once and you're so, under contract, you have to deal with people you have a pre-existing relationship with and the syndicators now, as they're required, I believe they're required by SEC or they're at least doing it to cover their ass. The syndicators are going to send a letter out to all your investors to ask how you know them. And it, the relationship should have started before the contract date. Got it. 
And so what are the rules around what you can publicly say? You know what I'm saying? Like, I got a deal. I want to go brag about it on social media. You know what I mean? I want to, for my brand, I want to share what I'm doing with the world. But I mean, I'm, I have my investors. I know them. I know them already. I'm not trying to go advertise this deal and raise funds from anybody I don't know yet. But I'm, I want to continue to build my brand. So how do you walk that fine line? Or do you just not? You just shut up once it's under contract and then don't talk about it until after it's fully funded? I've shut up. Yeah. To be honest. I worked in this deal for four months before I went under contract. So I was prepping all my, my equity side way before anybody sure. knew about this. And then I haven't really said that much on social media, which you know, if you follow me on social media, I say a lot of things. <laughs> so uh, being quiet or uh, holding my tongue is not a strong suit of mine. But I also want to respect the legality of what we're trying to do. And I also have other partners. So it's not just me. That's a, that's a whole other conversation about my brand is, like you said, shit talk. It's like, well, I have, I'm taking other people along for the ride now. So I have to manage that. Now, everybody who's in the deal knows me. Sure. That's <laughs> they knew what they were getting themselves into. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't like Alex. It's like, well, then go somewhere else. If you don't like my style, <laughs> you're, you're, you're along for the ride. Now, the people that like my style, they're all in. They're like, yeah, yell louder. So for me, I've really not said much about this deal. And I don't think that I need to because we've done such good on the equity side prior what the actual legality of what you could get away with. If you said, Hey, look, I'm a multifamily syndicator and I'm always raising money and you're in the middle of the deal. And you said that outside of this deal, I don't know that that, you know, there's people that are raising money for the next deal sure. while you're under contract for this one. So I can't imagine that that's a big problem, but yeah, I mean, it's just best to, to play by the rules. So in my case, it doesn't benefit me. I'm not yet, although I am going that way, a principal money rate. Like I'm not a capital raiser by nature yet. This is only the second time I've done it. We are going to move more towards that way in the future, especially after this deal closes. So then I'll have to know the nuance of the law a little better. But for right now, it's one of those things where it's like, look, there's no reason to muck this up. There's no reason to muddy the waters. I have the equity ready. So I'm just being quiet. Also, social media is a, is a balance, right? You know, you start, I'm good about inciting. <laughs> I'm good about being an antagonist online. I love it. And I'm okay with like, Hey, I failed. I'm okay with going on public and be like, yep, I talked smack and I wrote checks that I couldn't cash. I'm okay with eating crow online. Not everybody is, but sometimes where it's just not worth it. It's like no reason to go and be like, yeah, I'm gonna do this deal. I'm gonna do this deal. I'm gonna do this deal. And then it falls apart, especially when it messes with your legality. So right now I'm just kind of laying low. Got it. Got it. So what are the plans for the future? Once this deal closes, what kind of deals are you looking for? What kind of markets are you looking in? What kind of projects do you like to do? I'm going to do another couple of flips because I have the infrastructure in place where, and I have enough people now who will pay for it where I can basically just take somebody else's money. Somebody will find me a deal. I can give it to my contractor. He'll turn it. My realtor will sell it. I basically have to do nothing. It's not a lot of money, but it keeps me afloat because I don't ever, I'm at the point now where I don't want to go back to work. And I think my attitude makes me fairly unemployable. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm going to continue to do that for capital because the risk is kind of beat out of that because I have the system. What about market risk? I, I've never flipped a house. I've never sold a house. In fact, I'm, I'm currently trying to sell my previous primary residence and it's set on the market for months. And, and it's made me very happy that I've chosen a business model that doesn't include selling houses. <laughs> Are you concerned with, with, you know, the market dropping and getting kind of caught there? I invest in Fayetteville, North Carolina, where it's an extremely recession resistant market because the main employer is the U.S. government, mm -hmm. the U.S. Army, biggest military installation on certainly in the United States. So they're not going to get, market can dip, but nobody in the Army is going to get a pay cut. 
And right now, the Powell, the Federal Reserve Chairman, has basically signaled three years of low rates. So I am people sitting around waiting for a market crash. I do not think you're looking at the macroeconomic effects that are going on right now. I think we are long overdue for a crash, but I think the Fed is propping up the economy, and I think that's going to continue. So as long as rates for buyers are three percent, I think the prices are going to continue with reckless abandon, and we will all pay the price for this dearly in the future, but not in the next <laughs> three years. Right now, yeah, like my last two flips sold day one with far over asking price. So I'm going to capitalize on that while I can. What range do you look at for flips? Are you doing smaller houses? or My ideal flip would sell in the market average price. So houses here sell for $147,000. I want to sell a house for $147,000. Got it. If the average house is $250,000, that's what I'd sell. Got it. I think that's the problem with my old house. You know, my... I, I was bitching at my realtor yesterday. I was like, dude, the house is never sold. He goes, I thought the market was hot. He said, yeah, the, the market's hot for $180,000 houses. You're trying to sell a $300,000 house. That's a, that's a completely different market. It's not going on right now. There's risks with that on the flip side, but that's not my primary. That's more like I already built the system, so I need to keep it moving. Sure. I keep people paid. I keep people happy. And then you just never know. If the market does dip, then I definitely want that, that practice. That you definitely want the systems in place ready to strike when the iron's hot if we do hit a crash. Right. So I'm going to keep that machine going. I think I'm going to look to buy another multifamily, maybe a little bit out of town, the next one. But the next one, we definitely want to do over 100 units. And I am not some mega ambitious person who's trying to get 6,000 units under contract. My rule with my partner right now, I don't want to say rule, our strategy right now is because um, these are stressful and they take a while. So our current plan is to do one a year. And I yeah. figure if I can do 100 plus unit Apartment building a year for the next 10 years, life is going to be real good for me. I don't need to go off and be um, Grant Cardone or Rod Cleef. 100 units a year is, is pretty good. And then all that freedom, dude, I'm starting a photography business. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about it. You've got a lot going on. So you do a photography business and then you're doing a podcast for Bigger Pockets right now and then a mini series. Or is that a video that? show for Bigger Pockets? Yeah. Tell Reduce us about that. I've been doing photography for five years, I'm bad at it, getting better. Videography is certainly the future and I haven't practiced that at all. So this year I said, I wanna, um, I wanna practice videography, I wanna try YouTube. So I started filming my friends, my real estate investor friends and their stories and it turns out they're all in bigger pockets. And I was like, let's gear this towards bigger pockets and then send it to them. And so I basically emailed them and said, hey, look, I'm gonna make this, I'm gonna put it on my YouTube and I'm gonna bleep out every time it says bigger pockets because I'm not going to give you anything for free or you can have it. You pay me a little. <laughs> and they love it. Who'd you send that email to? I'm curious. A guy named Zach Gwynn. Good, very, very, very good human being. He is the head of video production at bigger pockets. And so we're about to do season three. And I think we're going to go down. Um, I think I'm going to hang out with my buddy, Jay Scott in uh, yeah. Sarasota, Florida. I'm going to do 12 episodes in Florida. I don't know that we'll do a season four because YouTube and real estate is, tricky and but it's good practice so i'm always looking for the next creative endeavor with my camera i'm getting better at it so for me it was like hey look i want to spend 2020 practicing i got a lot of practice they paid me for it i got a lot of exposure i was very lucky i don't know what's next but you know real estate ends up becoming another job for people and i'm re really hesitant to allow it's like sterling's like hey i've got a day job and i want to quit it and do real estate it's like yeah but you're gonna to want to quit that one day 
Right. I was having that conversation with my property manager earlier today. He was talking about somebody making a bunch of money wholesale. And I was like, I would never want to do that. Like I have a day job. I want to quit. Like I don't want to, I want to get another one. <laughs> I want, you know, the quality of life. That's why we all got into real estate. It's not to work harder. Well, it's to work on our terms. I love working. Sure. Right? I work very hard. I work harder than I ever have because all the things that I work on now, I like. I have no interest in, you know, retiring. It's like retiring. I literally went to Tulum for eight days and all I did was whip that camera out. I put together <laughs> thousands of pictures and it was work, right? And I loved every minute of it. It was in addition to adventuring and seeing the country, uh, Mexico. But that's, you know, it's a lot of work, but it doesn't feel like work. So what I realized a few years ago was you can build real estate into being another job that eventually you're going to want to quit or it's going to take so much of your time that it becomes a uh, prison. So now I make, I make a concerted effort to you know, spend time doing things that I like for no money, sometimes no money, or just like, Hey, I'm going to do this because it's hard. Cause I like the challenge. So photography is that thing where it doesn't really pay that much. Although I'm getting good where now it's starting to get hard to turn down all the money that people offer me. I'm the official bigger pockets photographer for the conference next year. Are they going to have a conference next year? Well, it was, I, I was the official photographer for the conference this <laughs> year. So I have a contract. I don't know. I don't know what'll happen, but those kind of things that I'm going to do anyway. So I literally told them, I was like, dude, don't pay me. I'm going to do it. And they're like, no, we have to pay you. It turns out they, uh, they got a big budget. So <laughs> those kind of things are what you want real estate to do, right? Like, what do I want to do with my time, my free time? And then imagine if you could get paid for that too. So in fact, that's actually a much more difficult problem to solve, which doesn't seem likely. When I first started, I was like, dude, if I can get this money problem solved, life is easy. Turns out you have enough money and then you're like, what do I do with all this free time? That's a difficult problem. It really is. I've said that a lot. There's few people I can have that conversation with, but how to solve the money problem, that's like a mathematical equation that you could just like sit there and like literally figure it out. I mean, you, they've got books that tell you exactly how to do it. You just have to do it. How do I want to spend my life and my time? And like once I've created all the success and I really have all the freedom, that's like a much deeper, like self-reflective prayer, meditation, dig deep Meaning. down type of thing. Meaning. Yeah. Uh, so I spent a lot of time reading 150 year old philosophy and things like this because, you know, this problem is not new and, you know, we distract ourselves really well here in, in the first world with work or chasing material goods. And so if you reject the material goods and then you accumulate a little bit of money, it's like, now what? It's a difficult problem. And, you know, I don't have kids, so that makes, it makes the problem actually harder because you can just say, well, I'll spend all the time with my kids. And that's perfectly, it's a perfectly acceptable answer. Although I do wonder, you know, once those kids move out, now you get, now you, <laughs> now you really need to figure it out. So I've spent a lot more time figuring those problems out and actually putting the money. It's like, you know, live with less a little bit, get the machine going, pay attention to it, make sure you're playing the long game, but then spend a lot of time trying to find for a lack of less cheesy term meaning. Sure. So what advice do you have for anybody who's, who's out there looking at getting started in real estate investing? Obsess, obsess over it. So your social circle needs to be 100% in anything that you want to be good at. So the last five years, my social circle and social media makes this easy because you can curate your feed. So everybody on your feed should be ahead of you in real estate, flat out. If they're on your feed and they're talking about something that doesn't have to do with real estate, they're not, it should be curated very, very carefully. Your content that you consume should be all real estate or real estate related people. Your networks, your in-person network 
the way you spend time, you should be going to RIAs, you should be going to real estate meetings, you should be doing coffee with real estate investors. You should, your friends should be real estate investors. And then once you become consumed, you know, I always feel like a lazy, I can cuss, right? We cuss all day, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like a lazy piece of shit all the time. Because every time I close, I'm about to close a 52 unit, which is a big deal for me. But my social media feed is all people closing 150 unit, 300 unit, class A, $20 million buildings in the floor. <laughs> And it's like, that keeps me going because then it keeps me humble and it keeps me motivated. If you're the baddest person on your social media feed, you're using social media wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's the old, you know, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. On that topic, I also think of, I think it's a Napoleon Hill quote. He said like, the number one reason people fail is because they listen to their friends and family. Yeah, look, it's, uh, it's tough because people, I'm lucky my family and I don't really get along that well. So they don't, they're not the ambitious type. And I don't say that to insult them in any way. It's just, they're not business oriented. So they can't help me. They think I'm so impressive that I can't believe you do that. So if I spend a lot of time with them, it doesn't really propel Yeah, me. yeah, I am impressed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am. That's not, I do enough of that on my own. So I need every, every inch of humility that I can get. <laughs> so hanging out with people that make you both strive to be better and also know that you aren't shit. You know, you have done nothing yet. So keeping those people around is a very good exercise, albeit, you know, damaging to the ego. You know, educate and network every single day. Those two things. Real estate's not that complicated. It's not that difficult. It's mostly a shift in mindset. It's a lot of it is shift in social circle. I've heard many people describe you as being fanatical at networking and just relentless at building enduring relationships. You've heard that people describe that about me? Absolutely. That's interesting. So... I tell people I don't invest in houses ever. I don't care about houses. I don't know nothing about houses. I only invest in people. And uh, yeah, I'm a relationship-based guy. I love human beings. I see the best in human beings. I see people's potential. And I'm good at, you know, waking up at 7 a.m. and texting 30 people and just being like, dude, I'm literally just thinking about you. I hope you have a good day. And I do that. And I don't want anything out of it. I just like people. So it's kind of my super strength. You know, somebody once told me every dollar you're ever going to make is going to come from a human being. Money is not, not, not natural. It's not in nature. There's no dollar bills didn't grow out of the ground, right? We made them up. Yeah. And so you really just need to get them from people. So I, I only invest in human beings. I can't say enough how much this is a people, how much every business is a, is a people business. I was telling somebody earlier today, like, you know, of all the lessons, and I've learned a lot of lessons the hard way. I've lost money a lot of different ways in real estate. But like one that I'll never make again is I'll never not show up to an appraisal to talk to the appraiser on a refi. <laughs> you know? Dude, I was going to say, this right here, this is a people business, right? I know plenty of people with lousy camera equipment and skills that get paid because the person who wants their picture taken is like, bro, I want Alex. I don't care. It's good enough for me. I don't know any better. I just want sure. Alex. Sure, uh, sure. And so, yeah, show up to the appraisal. You show up, you know, I, I network, dude. I do a Monday night with my, and my multifamily team. I do a Monday night Zoom. On Tuesday, I do a, every other Tuesday, I do a mastermind with a bunch of, uh, I'm a veteran. So I do, I'm in this veteran group. If any veterans are listening, there's a group called From Military to Millionaire. Did you notice I co-host that podcast? I do that also. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, we are a paid sponsor. We got a sponsor this year. We are a, that's a paid gig for me now. So we do that for veterans. Uh, it's entrepreneurial type thing. Tuesday nights, so I do my mastermind. Sunday mornings, once a month, I do Real Estate Church, which is a community-organized RIA with no agenda. It is purely community-based. I don't sell anything. There's no funnels. There's no sales. 
It's just, I love people. Let's all hang out on 8 a.m. on a Sunday and talk real estate. Nice. So I forgot where I was going with that. But yeah, dude, it's, uh, you, you show up and just shake hands a lot and life gets real easy, in my opinion. Absolutely. Let's uh, shoot over to our radio round a little bit just to ask a couple questions to help our listeners get to know you a little bit better. First one is, how do you get your hair to stand up so tall? Heat and tension. <laughs> Heat and tension. Blow dry, round brush. <laughs> no, the, in all seriousness, the first question is, what's your favorite book? And I know this is going to be a hard one for you because you read a ton. I do read a ton. Uh, Anti-Fragile. 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 Who wrote that? A guy named Nassim Taleb. Okay. Anti-Fragile is a an idea, I won't get into it because it's complicated. It is an idea. He wrote five books around an idea called Anti-Fragility. They're not sequels, but they all five of them are important. And the series is called Encerto. But the one book, the one that really pinged my soul is called Anti-Fragile. I'll check it out. What is your favorite quote? I knew you were going to ask me this. I have a list of quotes on my Google thing that I, I read and think about every single day. And I don't know if I have a a favorite, but I'll, I'll read you one that I, that I really like. Ready must you be to burn yourself in your own flame. How can you become yourself new if you have not first become ashes? Nietzsche. I read a lot of Nietzsche. Nice. nice. The Phoenix metaphor. If you want to change, you got to burn your old life away. Absolutely. What is your favorite thing to do outside of work? Cameras. Cameras. Pictures. I like making people look good. Makes that's them feel a, confident. That's awesome that people pay you to do what you love to do. They try to pay me. I actually turn down money all the time. All the time. I say no to big money all the time because I just, I genuinely like doing it. Awesome. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining the show. I really appreciate you coming on. I know our listeners are going to learn a ton. How can our listeners find out more about you? How can they get in touch with you? How can they network with you? My main website at the moment is still, it's brokeisachoice.com. You'll find all my deals on there in full transparency, some of my thoughts. You'll find some pictures. You'll find an incredible book list like you wouldn't believe. Brokeisachoice.com. You can find uh, my photography site, which I just launched, is alexandriamedia.net. Facebook and Instagram, Alexander Scott Felice. Happy to talk to anybody. And then obviously I'm on Bigger Pockets too. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Alex. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at Rent Roll Radio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at crestwordcapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.